This episode is brought to you by Vineyard Sun. Vineyard Sun is a local Austin company that makes quality sunglasses made from sustainable materials. You can see their styles on vineyardsun.com or follow them on Instagram at vineyard underscore sun. Welcome back, everybody, to the Moon Tower Business Podcast. Today, we're speaking to Mayor Steve Adler. Mayor Adler, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for the invite on. Yes, sir. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, we have uh, several things I want to talk to you about today, but I thought we'd kick off maybe maybe talk a little bit about what, uh, what kind of uh, things were you involved in professionally before being elected mayor in uh, 2015? I was um, a partner in a, a little boutique law firm uh, that uh, represented mostly uh, landowners, uh, tenants uh, in eminent domain actions against the government, uh, seeking either to, to stop takings uh, or to seek uh, appropriate and just compensation for, for, for a taking. Um, I started out as a civil rights lawyer. Uh, doing uh, employment discrimination work, sexual harassment in the workforce. Uh, and then uh, Diane and I were, were pretty involved in nonprofits and, and boards, and, and, and that almost becomes a full-time job uh, before I took this, this role as mayor. Yes, sir. So you were elected in 2015. How have you seen the, the economy kind of evolve and grow since you took office? Well, the economy in, in, in Austin, pandemic aside for a moment, has just been on fire. Uh, you know, the fastest growing large metropolitan area in the, in the country, uh, many years uh, here in, in, in a row. Um, the, uh, uh, one of the lowest unemployment rates uh, uh, in, in the entire country, uh, a very attractive place for relocations. Um, and, and Austin was in, was was and is uh, enjoying uh, that position. So uh, in so many ways, an economy that was firing on all cylinders, uh, again, putting aside uh, for a moment uh, the disproportionality and disparities uh, associated with that, with that success, not something that was being uh, uh, felt by everyone in the community. What do you think uh, it is about the city that attracts people to move here? Uh, you know, I, one, it's a beautiful place. I think it's a magical place. Uh, a lot of people pass through here without an intention of staying and then get stuck. Uh, I include myself uh, in that group, having passed through Austin in the late 70s. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful place. It's a progressive city. It's a very welcoming city. It's a kind city. Uh, we used to be known as the friendly city. Uh, now it's, um, you know, the city, uh, you know, keep Austin weird. Uh, to me, uh, what that means is that it's okay in the city to be different. It's okay to think outside the box. It's okay to try new and different things. Uh, I think that's associated with innovation. Uh, if people feel free to, to do that, then they're, they're, they're more likely to take risks. I think Austin has a high tolerance for risk-taking. I think that encourages uh, innovation. Many cities around the country and around the world, if you try something and you fail, you're punished. You never get a second shot. Not so much here. Uh, and I think that uh, the, the whole tie to tech innovation, the reason we have more startups per capita here than anywhere else, is because of that culture. 
uh, it's okay to try things. If it doesn't work, you try to learn quickly uh, and, and, and try again. Uh, and that, that creates not only the kind of community that is wonderful to, to live in, uh, but a community that generates more than its fair share of innovation. That's why Austin, um, the, what, the 11th largest city in the country, but only the fourth largest city in Texas, representing about 5% or so of the state's population, uh, is responsible for uh, uh, a third of the patents and half the venture capital in the state. Yes, sir. Speaking of the, the tech industry in Austin, you, uh, you've you hosted uh, at least one or, or more tech town halls at uh, Capital Factory. Can you kind of talk about your experience doing that? What kind of uh, things did you did you learn or, or hear from folks at, at those uh, events? You know, I like that space. I, I like spaces in our town where where uh, innovators and, and makers and entrepreneurs uh, all all gather in kind of entrepreneurial ways. Uh, when I came into uh, office, uh, it was uh, part of the brand that we were really trying to to, to push. Uh, it was already growing organically. The concept of being known as as kind of a social innovation capital of the world was something that uh, was real appealing to me. So we really pushed. Uh, the, the application of uh, new technologies and new economies into solving social challenges as a key component of, of how we approach issues uh, in this city. Uh, and do you think do you think the university kind of plays a role in in, uh, in having the talent pool here for for companies and startups to to kind of draw from? I think the university plays a huge component uh, in that. Uh, you know, I recognize that that employers and, and Small companies and large companies want to come to Austin because of the workforce. Uh, and, and that workforce, uh, you know, a lot of it comes from the university. A lot of it comes from people who came from the university and they got a job in a company. There's a lot of cross-mixing. Uh, you know, I also recognize that the, that the people that companies want to hire want to live in Austin in part because of Barton Springs. So it's a quality of life issue. Uh, which is why the positions that we take very progressively with respect to the environment and climate change uh, are all part of that workforce development uh, program. Gotcha. So we're seeing, you know, with, with the pandemic going on right now, um, a lot of companies are are still having folks work from home and uh, and that's giving people opportunity to work remotely. Um, and I've read stories about, um, you know, startup companies and entrepreneurs, uh, you know, during this time, Moving to to cities like Austin uh, and and kind of setting up shop here. Um, have you have you heard any anything on that front? Yes, we continue to see that. Uh, Emerson's still in, in in talks with other companies that are that are looking at at moving to the to the city. City has a lot to offer. Um, you know, there are two people that were uh, residents of New York that have been living with me since uh, March, and my um, uh, son-in-law and daughter. Uh, both both working remotely, but both now continuing to do that, but taking a look at, at this city. Um, this is a city that for so many of the people that live here becomes a easier place relatively to, to, to work during a pandemic uh, than many other cities. Gotcha. Step again, back. That's, again, that's not everybody in this city, uh, but it's a large component of it. Sure. Stepping back a little bit to kind of the beginning of the pandemic, uh, you know, February, March of this year, very challenging time. Um, you you put out an emergency declaration and eventually the decision was made to to cancel South by Southwest. 
in hindsight, that was a, a great decision. But can you talk a little bit about the kind of decision process on on that uh, on on the declaration of emergency and on the cancellation of South by Southwest? It was a horrible decision uh, and painful decision. Uh, you know, one of the, the hardest that, that that I've been involved in. Uh, at the same time, there was no alternate choice uh, that could really work. We were watching the uh, pandemic as it moved across the world. I was uh, regularly in touch with mayors across the world in some of the cities and countries that were being hit hard. It was real apparent how fast this was moving and how fast uh, it, it expanded once in the country. And then it came and it hit uh, what, California and hit Seattle. Uh, and you could immediately see that uh, uh, this was going to be happening to us too. So we were sensitized to the issue, watching the issue move. We were in conversations with South By uh, for, for two, three weeks before the decision was made. Uh, but when we made the decision on March 6th, it was recognizing that South By was just about to start loading in. If we were going to make a call, better to make it before they load in than a week later, just after the load in, but before it opens. Uh, we were looking at a significant number of people that we were soon be welcoming to our city, thousands coming from Seattle, uh, where it was uh, unstable uh, at that point, uncertain at that point. Uh, we were trying to figure out if we could really stop the people that were coming in from, from China uh, and from, from Asia uh, and how that would impact the, the, the program itself to start losing communities. So it was really hard and it was hard because uh, I knew that uh, as soon as um, uh, I said out loud that, that South by wouldn't be happening, uh, that I was devastating businesses and individuals, uh, people that had spent the last year or more getting ready to launch something at South by. Businesses in this city that, that get most of their yearly net profit uh, during, during this week. Uh, and recognizing that the people that was going to hit the hardest would be people that would have most difficulty in being able to recover the, the bar keeps, the, the waitresses, the, the small music venues that I knew it would be really hard. I knew there would be a huge price to pay and that made the decision horrific. But in looking at the health evidence and talking to the scientists and the doctors, uh, the decision we had to make was pretty Absolutely. And that was an excellent decision to do that. And, and looking back at it in hindsight, um, can you kind of talk a little bit about your experience being the mayor of Austin during a pandemic? What kind of lessons have you learned? Um, a little, maybe talk a little bit about your experience doing um, city council meetings remotely and having people attend that way. Well, obviously, uh, everybody's life has been disrupted uh, because of the pandemic and everybody's trying to figure out how best to do things. And everybody confronted with new things, new challenge without a playbook trying to learn as fast as we can to try to make sure that we at least don't make the same mistakes twice uh, and that we build on the things that we happen to do that, 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 that worked. Uh, I've gotten pretty good at Zoom and Teams and, and, and all of the different uh, 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 platforms um, that, that, that exist in this space. I still miss being around people in the same way and the, Casual conversations associated with meetings uh, aren't happening in the same way. You get on, you get off. I'm missing the travel time between meetings. Uh, that gave me a chance to think about the meeting I had just left and to prepare for the meeting I'm about to get into. 
Now I have more days where I have, you know, five to 10 meetings with uh, 15 second breaks in between one meeting and the next meeting. Uh, so that's hard. I think overall in the pandemic, uh, I'm just really proud of a community that's able to do what it takes to be able to keep itself safe. You know, back when we did the first lockdown uh, of the city back in March, um, we were trying to figure out if we would be able to cut the infectivity of the virus to a number that was below 70, 75%. Obviously, the models we were looking at told us that we were really needed to get to was above 90%, but no one thought we could actually do that. Um, uh, so we started planning our recovery based on assuming a 70% reduction. As it turns out, we were like 92, 94% is what the community achieved, which is why we were able to push the limit down. I also learned the importance of messaging from leaders. Uh, I think that one of the real lessons learned from this pandemic as people look back is going to be on the issue of masking. Uh, you know, putting on a mask, you know, never has so little been requested of people to achieve so much. Right. Uh, masking. When you're asked to put a piece of material in front of your face, it's nothing relative to the benefit because nothing that we can do can have the same impact on being able to keep schools open and open businesses and keep the economy open as wearing a mask. But somehow or another, that has turned into a partisan political question. Um, you know, I firmly believe that if we had had really strict, quick messaging on that issue, if we had had the adoption rate that you see in Asian countries and in other countries around the world, we would have saved over 100,000 lives. And, uh, and, and, and the fact that we did not do that borders on, on, on being criminal uh, because it is such an easy thing to do, but it's hard now. So when the president came out and started discouraging people, you know, sort of a Kenneth Mas Macho, you know, issue with respect to, to, to masking, um, uh, that forced lots of places around the country uh, to, to shut down their economies in ways that they wouldn't have had to do. Uh, even in our state, you know, we were lucky to have a governor that was willing to, to be photographed wearing a mask, uh, and that saved lives. Uh, him saying that it was important to wear a mask saved lives. The failure to actually mandate masking by our governor cost them. Um, um, his uh, effort to stop us from being able to mandate masking in our city cost lives. Not only did it cost lives, but it also kept businesses closed longer and harder than they would have otherwise. Uh, so I learned a lot about the ability of government to set norms, to, to, to help uh, use the, the, the little bully pulpit in ways to, to bring a community together in kind of a self-help uh, kind of way. And, and, and just the reaffirmation uh, of knowing that people are responsible. And if you are open and transparent uh, to a large degree, people will, will do uh, what's necessary to protect themselves and their neighbors. But the message has to be clear. You know, the mandate for masking that comes from government isn't so much about actually having it mandated because we can't enforce it when there's not enough police officers or code enforcement agents. But the fact of making it mandatory sends an unambiguous message as to its importance. I think that was an important lesson. Understood. And how about in terms of uh, people attending uh, city council meetings? Has uh, that increased uh, dramatically now that, that, that it's uh, virtual? You know, Austin... Uh, you know, by our nature and DNA, uh, has more active public participation than, than most other cities in the, in the country. 
uh, and that has not stopped with uh, Zoom meetings. I don't know that we have any more people speak, but I don't know that we have any less people speak. Uh, you know, we're doing the meetings here, Zooming. Uh, we had already in our meetings uh, created opportunities for people to be able to address the council remotely uh, during citizens' communication. Uh, we have now moved to letting people address the council remotely, obviously just on regular items on the agenda. That may be very well something that continues on uh, in a, in a post-COVID post -COVID world. Um, but it's hard to, to hold meetings where you're staring at a green dot uh, on, a, on a screen. Uh, and it's, it's hard to look at that green dot. If you look down on the screen to actually look at the pictures of people, then it looks like you're looking down uh, for somebody that's watching the, the, the video. Uh, so there's a lot of art uh, to go along with the science. Uh, I think that it does increase accessibility for people, and we need to maintain and expand that. We also have to make sure that there's enough time for council members to actually do the business of the council, uh, and that's always our challenge. If we let everybody who wanted to speak at a council meeting speak for three minutes, we wouldn't have any council deliberation time. At all. Right, right. That makes total sense. Um, what What are you hearing from the uh, business community uh, in terms of the challenges that, that they're facing right now during the pandemic? I know, obviously, restaurants and bars are 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 uh, feeling it with with not having to be able to have have the city open completely. But what other kind of challenges are, are you hearing from local businesses? Well, I think that, that the most of what I'm hearing in terms of challenges are the issue of being able to open. Um, you know, you mentioned restaurants and bars uh, now pretty much open. Most bars can, can qualify to open as a restaurant now that the governor's opened up that door. Um, but, you know, movie theaters and, and places where people gather, um, uh, other kinds of theaters, uh, I'm hearing from those folks. Uh, and, and I'm also hearing from folks that are able to open, but are not doing well because the public doesn't feel comfortable going back yet. Restaurants are able to open at 75%, but frankly, I don't know that I go eat inside a restaurant yet. I am going to restaurants. I'm sitting outside, especially those restaurants that are demonstrably doing a really good job of enforcing masking, uh, keeping their customers safe. Uh, but I recognize they're hurting as I look inside. There's restaurants and, and there's just not the, the same clientele, number of people that are sitting inside. So there are those kinds of uh, issues. It's a capital issue. Um, you know, I, have, I hear from landlords uh, that uh, aren't being paid rent uh, by businesses that aren't earning money to be able to pay rent. Clearing problems with workers, uh, you know, they get sick and what do you do? Um, uh, you know, there's certain protections provided by federal law, but it gets awkward and, and, and cumbersome as, as well. Uh, and then obviously anything like this is going to exacerbate the challenges we have with people that are experiencing homelessness uh, because we have more and more people that, that, that lose their housing uh, and are put on the street. Uh, and, and that becomes then a, a challenge for the entire community. How do we help those folks without sending them into the woods just to hide from us? How do we actually provide uh, housing and place for those folks to be that is uh, healthy and safe for, for them? Uh, we were moving forward with a, kind of a hotel strategy, buying up hotels to turn into permanent supportive housing. And now most of the hotels we were looking at are isolation facilities for COVID. Uh, so not so much focus now on, on, on ending homelessness as it is keeping the community safe. 
Uh, and there are a lot of cities around the country that have had outbreaks that have endangered the entire community, but outbreaks that started with communities experiencing homelessness. We have not had that in our city, uh, in part because of the focus that we've had. Uh, but I, I hear those kinds of uh, uh, issues as well. Absolutely. We, we had the, uh, the director of your economic development division, uh, Silnovia Holt-Rab on the podcast, and she talked about the great resources that, that the city offers to uh, local businesses and entrepreneurs, especially right now during the pandemic. Have you heard of, uh, have you been uh, keeping up with like businesses taking advantage of those resources? And they are, you know, and it's important as we get money from the federal government, we're using that. We're also using some of our local tax dollars. Uh, to help prop up uh, and, and save people and, and businesses. Uh, just last week, we approved yet another resolution that was focused on uh, critical business infrastructure, $15 million, starting off $5 million uh, to help preserve and, and help the childcare industry sustain. Uh, the fear is that if we lose some of the childcare facilities we have, they will never come back. Uh, the people that do that will leave, and it's such a touch-and-go uh, business model to start off with. Also, $10 million for uh, music venues and iconic businesses. Uh, again, focusing on those businesses that if we lose them, probably will not come back. Uh, so uh, maybe those places that are important to our brand in this city. Uh, but if, they, if we lost them after the pandemic, there's going to be no replacement with a similar kind of business because they're in a location where the economics don't work. I'm thinking areas like Ninth and, and Red River. Um, you know, places like the Victory Grill on 11th and 12th. It's just, you can't go back into those places. Continental Club on, on Broken Spoke on South Lamar. So dollars that are going to be um, uh, spent uh, trying to help those businesses that are able to pull together a plan which would um, demonstrate that they have a, a long-term sustainability or survivability and associated with our civic infrastructure uh, that we can help. And then I'm doing a lot of my time lobbying at the federal level with other mayors from across the country to get Congress to actually step up and and do what we need them to do uh, with respect to this next CARES uh, funding or HEROES funding. Um, you know, we, we need that dollars coming back to us and they need to come to the cities directly uh, so that we can uh, send out that money on the front lines to, to help the businesses. And the individuals that are that are suffering most right. Very good, very good. I know we got uh, we're close to the end of our time here. I know you got to jump on another meeting, but a few final questions for you. Um, you know, it was announced in the news that Tesla is going to be moving to Austin, um, and I know it's great for the city. Can, can you talk about you know the, the the good things that are coming for our economy because of that move to to Austin from Tesla? Tesla is a great move. You know, in this city for the last three or four years, I've been focused on trying to land clean manufacturing at scale in our city because it provides middle-skill jobs, uh, real good living wages for people that don't have a college, four-year college degree, but could get a certificate or a two-year degree. That's what Tesla represents in that kind of manufacturing operation to expand the manufacturing opportunities that exist in the city. The satellite companies that will come in to be near them, the Tesla manufacturing plant. Um, so I'm excited and the tie to taking a tech company like that at the intersection of tech and manufacturing. No better place for a company like that to be than in the Austin uh, area, uh, which is why I was excited when they when they came. Uh, you know, back in the in the height of the uh, pandemic, uh, uh, the only exception I made to have somebody uh, uh, to, to meet with me uh, uh, in person was Elon Musk. 
but I figured that was uh, really important to the to the to the community to to make happen. Um, so I'm excited that they're here, uh, and I think that there are going to be more opportunities presented itself for us to be able to compete for uh, those kinds of jobs, greater jobs. Yes, sir. Looking looking forward to seeing how all that plays out. Uh, left the hardest questions for last for you. Uh, <laughs> the final two questions to, to wrap up, uh, what is your favorite book and what is your favorite restaurant in Austin, Texas? Those are really hard questions. Most <laughs> of the books that I get a chance to read now are all about uh, urban planning and, and city work and I'm reading reports. So I'm, I'm looking forward to actually getting back to books that I would really enjoy when I, when I leave. I think my favorite book at any point in time is the book that I'm reading right now. Uh, just because the book I'm reading right now is a book about uh, um, uh, Secretary Baker, um, uh, was Secretary of State for, uh, for George Bush, uh, uh, written by uh, uh, Baker. It's either Paul Baker or Peter Baker, uh, a great book. Uh, his uh, son was my roommate in uh, law school. Uh, so uh, uh, it's, a, it's a great book to read on lots of levels. My favorite restaurant uh, an even harder choice and one I have religiously never answered as mayor of this city because I'm the mayor of all of the restaurants. Uh, but Austin is lucky to have phenomenal restaurants uh, from from white tablecloth restaurants all the way to some of the best food served at food trucks uh, that you can get uh, in any city in the world. Uh, this really is a wonderful and incredible restaurant town. Uh, it is a significant part of our brand. Fair enough. Uh, Mayor Steve Adler, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Appreciate everything you're doing for, for our city and uh, hope to have you on uh, another time. Invite me back. I'd love to come back. Thank you so much, sir. Take care. Thank you.